If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Good morning, and you are with Reality Check Radio with Marie here on Counterculture. Joining me now is the Communication, Marketing and Fundraising Manager for Women's Refuge, Susan Barker. Good morning and welcome to Counterculture. Thank you. It's so good to have you. I uh, spoke last week to Kylie-Anne Kearney uh, around the Grace Handbags for Grace appeal, Mm -hmm. which I know um, those come off to you at Women's Refuge, but we wanted to get you on for a longer conversation because uh, in recent weeks with the new changes with the coalition government, an announcement was made around uh, a new triaging system by police in terms of how they pick up and triage and go out to uh, domestic harm and violence calls. So walk us through that. I It was an astounding um, revelation and yeah. piece of communications from them. So what, what, in your understanding, are the changes that the police are looking at making? So, I mean, when it was first announced, we were definitely extremely concerned. Um we would not be happy at all if police stopped responding to family far, uh, family harm incidents. Um, I think, you know, we've gotten to a place where 20 years ago, if you rang police with a family harm incident, they would be like, oh, you know, sounds like a domestic, none of our business. So it's really good that we've actually gotten to a place where you can call police and no other agency really has the authority to respond like they do for us as a specialist service we can only intervene if a woman rings us and you know if it's life-threatening you know sending an advocate out is quite dangerous Mm. um initially we were really taken aback but we did um we do have a relationship with police so we've since had some conversations with them and it seems like they are going to pull back mostly in the mental health space and when it comes to disputes between siblings and that type of thing. Um, The police commissioner made it clear to us that he has no intention in pulling back from, you know, family harm as we deal with it between, you know, a couple Mm-hmm. Um, so we are hopeful, you know, that 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 is the case. And we can completely understand that, you know, we have a limited resource when it comes to police and there are a lot of family harm call outs. So it's kind of one of those things where we feel reassured talking to the police commissioner now. Not good that not everything's mm-hmm. being responded to, obviously. But, yeah, I mean that's that's where we're at at the moment yeah. with that so, one yeah so in terms of so what would constitute a family harm call out sort of describe those for us so essentially it could be in our context you know anything really i mean i think what's hard is if you're looking at it from a police perspective of has a crime actually been committed here? But in our view, if anybody is ringing the police 
and they're that desperate to get somebody there to intervene, they do feel like they are in danger. I don't think anybody's going to ring the police because they're arguing, arguing over who's doing the dishes and it's just getting too much. Um, so I think a family harm call out is any instance where you're having a dispute with your partner or within your family where you feel threatened in a way that requires that response. I think there might be a breakdown in some cases when police arrive and there's no actual crime being committed. Um, if it's yelling, you know, yelling's not a crime, but it's it's the implication, you know, of what mm. that fear the other person's feeling. Um, mm. I also, yeah, I think that um, it's that, you know, they have a different mandate than we do. Yeah. Well, there's a sort of um, a burden of proof, isn't there? There's, there is very a very distinct line within legislation of, of things that need to be crossed. But I guess where you sit is you don't want that line ever to be met or crossed. Uh, you're in a place where you allow people to come as, as a preventative measure. So who are the ones, so in your situation, if you have someone who is needing your assistance how do they generally do they reach out to you direct or are you getting most of your referrals via the police or other agency systems yeah so we do get police referrals so if they they do go to a family harm call out and there's no no crime being committed and the person is wanting our assistance we'll get referrals that way um often we get so we get around 50,000 referrals per year. Um, we get a lot of police referrals. And then we also have other avenues for women to reach out to us. They can call our crisis line. We have a web chat feature where they can just talk to a social worker immediately. They can email. They can just pop into their local refuge community office. So we've tried to make sure that we have a lot of ways that you could get in touch with us if you are looking for help. Mm. And I think it has to be said, you know, in when police respond to, and we understand this is, you know, not everybody's going to want to leave at that particular juncture. It might just be like things have gotten out of control um, and they just want it to stop. Whatever's going on, they want it to stop, but they might not be in a place where they're ready to you know, press charges, walk away. And I can get that that can be frustrating because, you know, somebody responding to that is not a social worker, right? So, mm. yeah. So in terms of that, so, so when you have that kind of scenario, and I know my husband is a retired doctor, so and he would see these women um, come through his clinic. And the difficulty is, is that, as you said, it's got to be, led by the victim to be uh -huh. able to to move forward. So where do you have, do you have systems and networks? So if someone comes to you and they haven't quite made that step, that that's where they want to go, so they're there potentially as a pause um, to give them space, have you got other agencies that you're able to tap into to provide them with assistance or is it they have a pause and then they go back and then they're left a chance again. I mean, what's what sort of wraparound services are available for these women that need your help? So we actually will help and support women even if they want to stay. So that's not 
a deal breaker for us. It's actually quite common for women to use our services and then go back to the relationship. It often, I mean, on average, it takes seven attempts to leave. So we're wow. really aware of that. Um, so if someone is even still living with their abuser, we will still provide support, help them access counseling, you know, provide um in ways to MSD if they need support that way, um, just help them the best we can until they're ready to make that decision. So in no way is anyone cut off because they've decided at the moment, you know, they don't want to leave. Mm. And I know it's, it is hard for people to understand that, but I think in lots of ways women might feel Sometimes it's safer to stay. That sounds backwards, but you see these cases where women do ultimately leave and then they're murdered, right? Because that is when you're at highest, the highest risk of being murdered is when you finally decide to leave and that person's losing all their control. So you can see kind of what's on the line for women. And I often say to people, you know, even if you're in a marriage that doesn't or a partnership that doesn't feature abuse, think about how hard it is to untangle your life from somebody else's, even if there's, you know, not major financial things at stake. If you have kids, if you have pets, you know, it's it's a huge undertaking. And then on top of that, if you're afraid of this person and you're afraid of what they're capable of and what they might do. So, yeah, I mean, we will support women in every way that we can, even if they choose to stay with the abuser. Mm -hmm. 50,000 is a staggering number of referrals. Has that increased, decreased, remained static? What has it been like, say, over the last five to ten years? It's remained. um, We did see a ramping up. Um, probably six or seven years ago, it started to ramp up. But I think that was actually society changing to where it was okay to reach out for help. It was okay to talk about it. I think 20 years ago, having this on a, well, there wasn't podcast, but, you know, have, mm. talking about this so openly would have been more challenging. It was, you know, something that you kept secret. It was nobody else's business, what goes on in your own home. So we actually saw that as a positive, more women are reaching out um, for help. And not every person who reaches out for help is going to leave and continue down that track, as we talked about. But in the last four years, four or five years, we've seen that number remain steady. Um, So yeah, it's remained fairly steady. New Zealand has the highest family violence rates in the developed world. So it's, um, yeah, it is staggering and completely unacceptable. So why do you think that is? Why us? Um, I mean, there is the technical argument that we do have really good reporting in New Zealand. So it could be that we we document a lot more than other countries about this happening. But at the end of the day, I do think it's it's a societal thing that we need to look at, you know. Um, I'll try not to rant on about patriarchy or anything like that, but it, it is a societal shift that needs to happen in New Zealand. Um, and, 
you know, if we had all the answers, we'd probably not exist because we could solve it. But yeah, mm. it is interesting. So in terms of uh, women feeling trapped, I know money is one of the things that traditionally always was wielded and used as a form of control. Now with the very connected digital life that we live in, it's very difficult to hide from anyone financially. I mean, back 20 years ago or even 30 years ago, if a woman was in a dangerous situation, you know, I just knowing people have been in this situation, they would have small jobs, gather a small nest egg of cash that was untraceable to basically give them a uh, an exit bundle to get out and, and start fresh if, if required. Well, that's a very difficult thing to do today. So is money still used very much as a lever to control women, um, both financially and psychologically in the home? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we see women come to us regularly who don't even have eyes on the bank account and they're working, they're in full-time employment, but their partner has taken control of the finances and usually by reasoning of I'm better with money, you're useless with money, I'll look after the money and these women are working or receiving some kind of income and never even seeing it, being given pocket money um, and being made to feel guilty for needing things to provide for themselves and their children and like you say, in a digital age, it is much harder to hide, like you say, a little fun to get you out. Um, and it's the digital age has even made it extremely hard to hide full stop. You know, you can track anybody's movements these days and what they do. We've even had instances where once women have left, they have been receiving child support from their ex and in the reference when you do a bank transfer they've said you know like f you or you know like mm -hmm. as just a little way to get back at them you know it's impossible to escape you know the digital world um one of the things when women come to us Often they leave with very little, even if the household does have assets, they don't have access to these assets. So they come with very little and then it becomes a process of trying to set them up so that they know, have that financial literacy. So we offer budgeting advice. Um, we have relationships with almost every major bank in New Zealand so that um, our clients can set up a bank account with little ID. Um, and yeah, it, it's a major, major challenge. We do the best we can to set them up, but yeah, it's, it's pretty harrowing. Mm. Which actually then brings me to one of the misconceptions. I guess there's a misconception that to be, to call your services in, there has to be some form of physical violence, but that's not the case at all, is it? No, no, not at all. And physical violence is really the far end of the scale. It never starts with physical violence. Um, we often say to people, nobody goes on a first date and gets slapped and they're like, wow, I'm sure he's a nice guy, really. Um, it always starts as these manipulations, these little tactics to the point where you get to physical assault, it's not surprising to you, which sounds odd, but um, 
Yeah, most abuse occurs at that psychological level, that control, that eroding of someone's self-confidence. And I think all of us like to think, oh, that would never happen to me. But um, if you look at the way most relationships start, there's that honeymoon phase where you're so in each other's pockets and you're so in love. Well, that's not much different to someone who's establishing power over you. I mean, if you think about someone saying things to you when you first start dating, oh, can I just, what if we track each other on our phones so that I know you got there safe? I just worry that, you know, you're going to get in an accident. Can you call me when you get there so I know you're safe? And it starts out like that. And Mm. I think most people would have a very hard time telling the difference between, you know, that loved up feeling and being love bombed and charmed. And then once they have you over that line, things start to turn sinister. Mm. Mm. And it's really difficult because people you want to trust and women, you know, we have big hearts and we want to trust and and we want to be loved and, and to love and all of those sorts of things. So those, I guess, never, ever change. When so, for, in terms of referrals, because often you have uh, people close to you that will see things before you do. You know how they say love is blind. Mm-hmm. So how can and often do you have people come to you and say, "I'm concerned about my sister, my daughter, my friend, my cousin." But the, I guess there's a difficulty there for you, isn't it? I mean, in terms of a line being crossed because it actually needs the woman who's being affected to be the one that reaches out. You can't sort of intervene externally. So what happens if that's the case? If if you're that person and you're worried about somebody else um, and you don't know what to do, what's your advice? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we do get contacted by lots of mothers, sisters who would love for us to show up at somebody's house and intervene. And it does, we can't do that. And it doesn't work like that. Um, I think the biggest thing I would say is to not be judgmental. These women going through this already feel immense shame. They feel stupid. They feel like they've made a huge mistake and they should deal with it and they will do everything they can to conceal what's actually going on because of that. So saying, oh, if this were me, I wouldn't put up with this or I think you should I would just leave, you just need to leave, is pretty unhelpful Mm. Uh, until they feel supported enough and ready to make that change. um, That's just going to fall on, you know, deaf ears really because they're just trying to get through day to day. Mm. I would say support in other ways. Um, If they need help with childcare, offer, hey, why don't I have the kids this afternoon? Or do you need anything from the grocery store? I'm going out. Like supporting in those practical ways actually helps a lot because it takes those burdens off so that they can actually concentrate on how to get out of the situation. Um, As you know, when you're super busy, I have three children. So when you're super busy running around and just, you know, you get lost in that. And the other thing I would say is just if you are extremely concerned and 
you want you feel like you're at a place with this person where you can broach it um and they do disclose to you hey you know so and so yelled at me last night i was really scared he was very angry or you know so and so is controlling all our money you can say well how does that make you feel how how does that really make you feel and that doesn't sound you know very good for you how about we just you know, call Women's Refuge and just have a chat. Like, I'll sit with you while we do it and just see what they say. You know, I mean, there's ways to do it where you're not taking this position of I know so much more than you and I'm better than you and I would never do this. And I guess these conversations have to happen in person because I guess one of the levels of control, and I've heard of this, of partners who have access to their partner's cell phones and any text messages or, you know, so if you're texting a girlfriend saying, oh, you know, he, I'm worried or I feel, you know, scared, could that could put you in danger. So you don't want to be texting those sorts of things, do you? It's a, that's a face-to-face job. Yeah, it is face-to-face or actually like a phone conversation, not a text. Um, you wouldn't believe the amount of women who come to us with smashed phones um, or the, the first thing we often see when things get really heightened is their phones being taken off them because that abuser is always going to try to cut off people like that, people who are saying, hey, are you OK? Because mm-hmm. that's against what they're trying to achieve. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to really be conscious of that and not putting the person in a position where you turn up at their house and the partner's there and you're confronting everyone. Um, De-escalation is really the way to go, not escalation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is um, so different. I know when I spoke to, I spoke to Gloria Masters, who works in the space of child abuse, and she has created a hand signal um, so that, you know, the palm up, thumb and, and down, that they are teaching children to sort of quietly signal that they may be in a dangerous space. And I guess you can come up with a code, like if you get to a level of, or a place mm. of trust, especially if it's a sibling, you know, you know that person really well. And you can say, look, you need to work, you know, I will work with you to work this out. But let's come up with a code that you can text me, like an emoji yeah. which will be completely meaningless, like a blossom or a daffodil or whatever the thing is, that sends a signal to say, you know, you need to phone somebody or, um, hey, I need to get out for a coffee, can you meet me or whatever it is. But it sounds really sad that you have to get to that place. But, you know, you, these are the things that you may end up having to do. No, exactly. And, you know, having people in your life that are willing to be that for you Mm. um, is great. And I commend anyone who supports, because it's much easier to be like, oh, this is just, this is such a mess. I don't want to touch this. It's none of my business. That's the easy way, right? Um, Sitting there and listening um, consistently, even though it appears that nothing is changing or they're not making moves to leave, it's actually hugely beneficial and it is helping. Mm. So how can um, people help? So if they want to help Women's Refuge directly, what's a really good way that people can um, give you guys a hand and, you know, whether it be volunteering or financial support or and something else in kind, if, if they can't afford to do something, what? how can they support you? 
Yeah, so, I mean, obviously donating to us is brilliant and we have our Gift a Safe Night program where for $20 that goes towards providing a safe night, whether that's in a safe house or sometimes women are able to stay in their own accommodation and we upgrade their house with security features and a personal alarm that links to police. Um, so that's that's great if you're able to do that. Also, um, when we're looking after women and children, we often need things that everybody needs, you know, personal care products, nappies, um, all those things that keep a household going, food, particularly pantry items. And we have 40 refuges throughout New Zealand. So I know they really appreciate when someone rings up and says, hey, do you need a couple bags of like pantry items or um, I have some baby stuff. Would you be interested? Um, also, volunteering opportunities. Again, we have 40 refuges throughout New Zealand. And yes, we have a lot of volunteers and we're very grateful for them. And I would encourage people to just ring their closest refuge and say, hey, what what can I do to help? And that's brilliant. Mm. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Uh, Susan, this has been really Fascinating, and I'm pleased to hear that you've been able to have a sit down with police and get some more assurances mm. around that, which is really, really constructive. So, did you actually meet um, with Commissioner Costa and work this through? So, our CEO had a conversation um, because, yeah, like everyone, when we first heard the announcement, we were horrified. You know, in our minds, we're thinking. If women don't have the ability to trust that if things get really scary, they can ring police. It's not only the women who are going to know that, it's the abuser, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going to be like, well, I guess I can really take this to level 10 because nobody's going to call, come and I'm not going to get in trouble, right? Well, and the last thing you want to is women thinking, oh, there's no point ringing because no one's going to come. Yeah. You know, exactly. Hopelessness. Yeah, so we we were not in a good place, but um, our CEO, Dr. Jury, yeah, she spoke to the police commissioner and we've been reassured that there's no intention to not respond to calls like that. Um, so time will tell. We're, we're confident. Um, we have a good relationship with the police commissioner, so we're, you know, trusting yeah. that that is the case so i, I hope i hope dr jury gave uh cuddles a little bit of a nudge saying look my son you know where's the <laughs> stakeholder in this a wee little phone call before a press <laughs> comms release goes press release goes out would have been useful <laughs> i hope you know that message went on board <laughs> i'm mark sure mitchell mark mitchell <laughs> just saying yeah yeah just yeah give the, i'm sure Angel will take your phone call anytime <laughs> yes Yes, she will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, isn't it? And that's just it. I mean, all of this is around communication and making sure you get that communication out there. And that's what I wanted to talk to you because I just feared as soon as I read that article as well, I was thinking, gosh, you know, if I were in that, and I'm not in that hope, I mm -hmm. pray that I never, ever, ever am. But gosh, if I have am someone who is and you're feeling that hopeless and when you do feel that hopeless and you feel like you, there's no way out, um, the last thing you ever want to do is feel that you can't dial 111 and get the oh, help when you need it the most. Absolutely. It's terrifying because no 
nobody, just to be frank, is going to ring 111 if they're being yelled at or if, you know, there's abuse going on that they feel like they can manage themselves. Mm. Nobody wants the police to tromp through their house and have to go through that ordeal. I think most people ring when they feel this is going to go bad real quick. Like mm. I have the potential to be seriously injured or lose my life in this. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Hey, look, Susan, it has been great to talk to you. This has been Susan Barker, the Communications Funding and Marketing Manager for Women's Refuge. And as we said, if you want to help out Women's Refuge in any way at all, give them a call, 40 centres nationwide. So dig out your local centre and um, give them a yell. Hey, Susan, thank you. I really do appreciate your time this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. You're, you're most welcome. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Mm-hmm.